Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Table Variation. I'm Walter. And I'm Matt. And this week we are going to be talking about uh, classes or character concepts that people should play at least once. Yeah, kind of like, uh, you know, if this was like a new player or someone who's maybe only played one or two times, like the highlights, the things that you should try to make sure you play sometime in your career. Yeah, what they can teach you, like why they're fun, what challenges they you might have to overcome to learn how to play as them. And also like what playing these classes is going to teach you and how it's going to make you like a more well-rounded player. Yeah, exactly. Like just learning to play the class obviously teaches you some mechanics, but like in a greater sense, what do you learn from it? Yeah. So actually like a real topic and like a real episode for our podcast. Well, yeah. And then we talk about nails, but. Oh my God. Don't give me some <laughs> <on> nails. <laughs> but yeah, this is a table variation. Cue the music. So the idea for this episode came from a podcast I watch uh, slash listen to called the Command Zone podcast. And they are a series that produces content for Magic the Gathering, which is that card game we talk about all the time. Yep. And one of their recent videos was called like uh, these like commander decks that everyone should build at least once. And their reason for it was like, if you build these decks, it'll teach you something about the game that maybe you didn't know. And I was like, wow, that's a really neat concept. How do we like just correlate that into like a role-playing game? So I thought it would be neat if you and I came up with like a handful of topics of classes or like character options, maybe that everyone should play at least once. And then like what that would teach you. Yeah, that makes, I mean, it's not a bad, bad way to go. So for like the command zone podcast, just out of curiosity, were they going for like a specific commander or were they talking more like you should play a combo deck or an aggro deck? Uh, both. It was like everyone should build a five color deck at least once because it teaches you that you don't necessarily need to have a super expensive mana base. And here's our suggestion of an introductory five color commander that you should. Build. Okay. That, yeah. That's fair. And the lesson you learn from that is you don't need to spend a lot of money to have fun in the game or whatever their example was. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So in keeping with our tradition of just ripping off people that are more talented from us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So yeah. uh, I'll, I'll start things off. And my first one is like two things, if that's all right. And I came up with three. I don't know how many you came up with. I have three ideas as well. All right, cool. So my first one, Uh, which is this two-parter, is I think that a class everyone should play at least once is a rogue. And my reason for that is that if you play a rogue, you know how fucking frustrating it is to not have, like, your character (laughs) character just doesn't work if you don't get to use sneak attack. So it would be better if more people played rogues and understood, like, how positioning is so important for certain classes. And I think that by playing a rogue, right, you're going to have to use this combat positioning and like get sneak attack or like, you know, maybe attack out of stealth or whatever it is for whatever specific system you're 
using but in general rogues always have this like i have to attack someone with disadvantage so you have to find ways to generate that disadvantage more and more and a lot of times you can rely on your team to help that happen yeah that almost that's like a twofold one right it like teaches positioning on the map but it also teaches like your teammates how to te like teamwork yeah basically like that was kind of my thought yeah it's very interesting in uh in fifth edition they made it easier for rogues to get sneak attack so flanking as a concept doesn't really exist um because of how the they do the advantage disadvantage system so for rogues if you can get advantage or if you have an ally engaged in combat with that character you can get your sneak attack and for my sunday games three of us are rogues and the amount of times that we still cannot get sneak attack happens a surprising amount well yeah so that's and that's the thing like but now all of you guys have played rogues and even if you don't need to have exactly flanking like it used to in third edition or pathfinder you still need to have more than one person on the same target and that develops this kind of like teamwork right this discussion of how we're going to make that combat happen exactly like i'm gonna move here you better move there otherwise like i wasted my turn so that was like the first half of my two-parter because i was kind of cheating because i actually had four things but these two went together so my second my second of the first parter because that makes you better with combat positioning is to be a primary spellcaster and my reason for having everyone play a primary spellcaster at least once is the way a lot of those classes work is you have a very limited amount of spells so it teaches you how your team works, just how you know a rogue does. You're trying to figure out more teamwork stuff. Being a primary caster forces you to ask questions about your party, like, hey, what spells do you want cast on you that are effective? Or like, hey, the rogue always needs someone else in combat. I will summon an enemy, or like I'll summon a creature to flank that enemy with my rogue friend so I can always provide him flanking. So you have to have a better understanding of what your party needs to correctly prepare the right spells for that situation yeah interesting actually uh a full a full ninth level caster is also one of the things i came up with although for i think a different reason oh perfect okay so that was my first thing and both of mine were about combat so it's basically a rogue or a primary spell caster makes you better at combat because you're forced to think about the battlefield more tactic was kind of my argument yeah that's a that's a fair assessment all right so um, what's yours so I had also agreed on like a full ninth level caster. And my example was, you know, like playing a wizard. And my reasoning for it was that I think everyone should play like the most complicated thing they can to see how that like works. At That's some fair. Yeah. Yeah. At some point in your career, like, you know, how many people, even people who have been playing for a while have always heard, oh, you know, wizards are so broken and they're so powerful and yada, yada, yada. It's like, I think everyone at some point should experience that so that they can understand when someone yeah. says something like that. And there's like, there's definitely a difference between just being like, from a mathematical standpoint, the ability that they have a spell that turns you into a toad is really powerful, right? Like everyone can understand that like baleful polymorph or like slay living or whatever it is, like you make a check, if you fail, your character is unplayable any version of that is like overpowered in the sense that like it's just one is overpowered in the sense there's just one die roll right yeah but there's a big difference between doing that and like playing that character 
for like 15 levels or something and having to to make all these decisions as you level up and actually like seeing like can you make it as powerful as they say i think there's also something to be said about specifically playing you know like an overly almost overly complex character and like learning how to keep track of all these things and then like you said sure you know baleful polymorph save or die basically but there's so many other tools that they have available to them that are like more soft power you know like what's more powerful like baleful polymorph or haste yeah no and so i've played in a lot of these tables through like pathfinder society with with like guest players i guess you can say because it's like this rotating table of people so i would say that the weakest characters i've ever seen are spellcasters and the most powerful characters i have ever seen are spellcasters just because you are a wizard doesn't mean you're like good at playing a wizard because it is really complicated and it requires a lot of like a lot of moving parts to know like what spells to take for what situation for what your party makeup is for what you're specialized in doing etc 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 you know there there's a lot that goes into making someone who's playing a wizard powerful it's not just like oh you're a wizard you're just like the best character in the party automatically it's like no like if you're a good player and then you take what can be the most powerful character that's where you get this situation that people talk about online of like, ah, wizards are so dumb. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess there's a difference between being like, oh yeah, I can, I can billful polymorph that guy or, well, actually I can like haste up my party and then they can co-kill all eight of those guys. Well, like it's, it's funny. That's exactly almost an almost exact situation happened maybe two weeks ago when I was playing online with my, uh, so my world of Warcraft buddies, I'm playing in a, a D and D game. One of them's running and I've just been the support character. I'm a spellcaster, And like, I've just been casting haste on people and dimension during them around and things like that. And I have a couple of damaging spells like lightning bolt or something like that. Right. So we're fighting against this ogre matron and she starts off the combat by bestow cursing one of my two frontline characters that I've been buffing and removing him from the combat and my character is not good aligned so he's like ah you've you've disabled like my most powerful plaything. how dare you uh and my turn came around and the gym's like all right what are you gonna do i'm like i'm gonna show this ogre matron that i'm not to be fucked with i'm gonna cast my most powerful spell on her and i was looking at my list and i'm like oh geez what i want to do oh i'll just dimension door the other fighter next to her that's my most powerful spell is just putting that frontliner next to her yeah. <laughs> and then, then he proceeded to just like butcher her for me. I was like, yep, he's better than anything I can do. <laughs> exactly. And like learning, I don't know, learning the difference of like how you're playing your spellcaster, right? That's the the variety. I think that's why playing the ninth level. I, I mean, yeah, I could be a cleric or something instead or a druid, but I think wizard is like the best example of that. Yeah, it's like the quintessential thing in any game too. Also, it's, it's it's interesting with these other classes like oh like you know i i I work in an office i'm a blue collar guy or a white collar guy like i got my necktie on all this sort of stuff like i have to tuck my shirt in i get to play D &D, i get to relax i'll like you know have a beer or something you know i'm playing a fighter i'm playing a rogue you know i'm just having fun just role playing if you play a wizard you have to kind of like be a wizard outside of the game because you have to sure you're only casting like five different spells you have to read like a thousand different spells to figure out that those are the five you want like yeah, you have to right. do all this, you have to do all this inordinate amount of research 
So like it forces you to just become the thing you're role playing. Like you have to like spend all this time yeah. pouring over books and shit <laughs> like that. Yep. Oh man, what familiar do I want? And you just imagine you're like back at Hogwarts, like deciding what to do. Yep. Now, do I want fireball or lightning bolt? I don't know. Ugh. The inoc- Yeah, those choices are fantastic. And that's sarcasm, of course. Doesn't translate too well necessarily. <laughs> um, all right. So my second thing, my second class that I think everyone should play is a bard slash someone with max ranks in diplomacy. Ooh, so a party face? Yes. And my reason for that is to force you to be the party face, which forces you to A, understand the plot of the game you're in, and B, role play. So if you're the kind of player that's like, I just play like meathead barbarians all the time, I just like rolling dice and cutting things in half, test yourself, make a character with max ranks in diplomacy, and force yourself to understand what's happening in the game and whenever there's an npc to talk to be part of that conversation and like drive the story yeah so basically play a character that makes you role play rather than just i roll a d20 do i hit and that's why i was saying like bard because that's like that's kind of their point like Like, quintessential playing a bard yeah it's like quintessential playing a bard is that you're role playing and stuff like that but you know sans that max ranks in diplomacy and force yourself to be part of every conversation yeah it's just like you know playing your rogue you should just roll stealth all the time your gm will not get annoyed (laughs) well yeah and i don't mean like oh we're talking to like some random bandits i rolled a 35 do they work for us now i don't mean that i mean you role playing with the game master figuring out why those bandits are here figuring out what the story is and then when asked making a diplomacy check and then probably succeeding because you have like all the specialization in talking to people that's like what i envision and it's something that i think a lot of people use the excuse of well i don't have ranks in diplomacy i'm not going to be part of the conversation you know yeah i think also um although i'll say i notice it less in fifth edition than i would in pathfinder and it's just the nature of the games but at a certain point your characters tend to be specialized in something um so it's like oh well that that player has a plus 30 to their diplomacy i'm not even gonna bother yeah no and i mean like that is a tragedy of the commons right that's like that's the side effect that you don't want to see from having a character that's optimized like if i have a character that's like optimized in archery and there's like two flying creatures and I shoot at one, I don't want my party to just AFK and wait for me to kill the other. I'd like them to participate in combat. So they're participating in the game, but realistically, like what's the fucking point? Like your archers got this. Yeah. That actually ties into my number two, which was, you, All right, should, you should play an archer at some point. <laughs> you got to pay, pay that tax. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone needs to pay that tax. Like it's one of those things that's very interesting so for the uninitiated, what do you mean by pay that tax? So playing a ranged character, oftentimes if you build them even semi-optimally, you can pump out a metric shitload of damage, but you do it from range. So your character is, you know, relatively safe. So the tax is, of course, the DM needs to kill you. <laughs> yes, yes. And we coined the term when we played, when I... Yeah, I think I was running a game. It was some years ago with like the same friend group that we do all our games with or whatever. And we're doing some adventure and someone is playing a ranger. 
and they're specialized in killing demons, and the entire adventure is about fighting demons. So every combat is a coin flip. If that guy wins initiative, all the demons are dead. If I win initiative with my demons, they all kill him because he kills them all in one round. So it was called paying the ranger tax because he was playing a ranger. In every other combat, he would get horribly murdered and they would have to spend resources to bring him back from the dead because it was like some high level game. They have tons and tons of gold, right? Yeah, exactly. It's and like by ranger tax doesn't mean you can only do it to a ranger, like an archery spec fighter or something like anyone with, you know, shooting with a bow and arrow or a crossbow or something. Basically, if your character's generally safe, uh, you know, play that. They're fun, they're powerful, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, you should play it and see if it's something you like, I guess. And you also have to learn, like, a new skill set. You have to understand how rage combat works in your game. Every game has different rules for, like, range increments, shooting into melee, like, firing around a corner. Then there's all these feats and options you can take to negate that. Or if you're playing, like, Shadowrun, you get to specialize in, like, shooting people in the head and things like that. It's just a completely new skill set you have to learn. And then typically it's very powerful. It's like why people use guns in our world instead of daggers, right? Yeah, exactly. So, of course, anything you're fighting with half a brain is going to target you first. Because why wouldn't you? <laughs> like, that dude in the back is, like, doing the same amount of damage as this fighter. And this fighter has, like, a shield and full plate. Why am I not just attacking that guy in the back? Yeah, and... Like, I kind of was torn on this one about, like, everyone should play, like, a meathead fighter or something. But it kind of goes to the same idea of it's the, like, antithesis of the super complicated wizard is playing the, like, almost brain dead. Like, what are you going to do in combat this time? Uh, what do I do every night? Pinky, I'm going to shoot them. Yeah. And it's like, that is... As a fighter or a frontliner, you get to choose, like, do I want to stand next to this enemy or next to this enemy? Do I want to prevent, like, this charge lane? Do I want to hold this door? You have all these, like, really almost, like, flavorful decisions. Even if you're just choosing what you're attacking, you're also making those decisions and you can, like, imagine yourself, like, heroically holding a shield up and stuff like that. Whereas if you're an archer, you're like, eh, shoot that guy for 50 damage, I'm done. Exactly. Like, yeah, at shoot least that guy. The barbarian or a fighter, like you do, like you said, you have some like positioning choices and things to make. But like honestly, the ranger, the whole point is, I don't need a position. Everything's in range. Yeah, I just do all the damage. Exactly. They, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's fun, and everyone should do it once, maybe twice. But uh, maybe that, maybe that's your thing. But I think it's you know, play the brain dead thing. Yeah, it's nice every now and then. Take a break. Pay that tax, maybe. Yeah, get taxed. Yeah, I guess I guess a sub lesson there could be like one of the things we've talked about before, which is learning to accept that your character is going to die and that's OK. So if you play that archer, you're probably going to die because <laughs> the game master is probably going to try to kill your character. Yeah, I mean, that's that's literally, you know, fifth edition compared to like Pathfinders, very like the numbers are a lot lower. But again, on Sundays, we're playing a very high powered fifth edition game. and. I'm playing an assassin sniper. My whole shtick is I'm going to go first. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to kill you. I think I've hit over 400 damage in a single hit, which in fifth edition is pretty insane. Gross. Yeah, it's sweet. Pretty brain dead, but fun. Oh, yeah, I do. I do exactly one thing. <laughs> I do. Oh, you say you do one thing. Perfect. All right. That's going to tie into my third thing, which is my last my last class that I or like character option I want to talk about. If you're good. 
yeah, let's go for it. All right. So speaking of focusing on one thing, I think that for the third class that everyone should play at least once, everyone should make a focused character, which I would call a multi-class character or a class, a character that does level dipping. So the way these games are designed by and large is you pick a class and you get abilities every few levels, right? And the later abilities are way more powerful than the earlier abilities as like an incentive to stick around in that class for like 10 levels, you get a payoff, right? But to make the game exciting for the first like five levels, all these classes have one or two really powerful abilities they get within the first couple of levels traditionally. So you can, if you're a savvy connoisseur of character building, identify a few of these choice abilities that work really well together, but are on different classes. So instead of being a level five fighter, you're like, I'm going to do two levels of fighter and three levels of ranger because I see that like this ranger thing and this fighter thing go together well. So you have a character that's a little more powerful than a normal level five character would be because you've chosen to do this multi-class. And my reasoning for why everyone should at least once make like a multi-class character is because it trains you to identify like what are good abilities when you're looking through, like if you're playing a wizard, I'm looking through 50 spells, which ones do I pick? It's training you to kind of see themes and figure out what is like a good ability in a class and then subsequent things that supplement that. So it trains you to do that. And then it also forces you to have a base understanding of what all these different classes do, which is just good knowledge yeah. to have in general. That is, that is, yeah, I think it's the, we talk about, you know, playing the game all the time, but the stuff that you do outside of the game, like building your character is obviously just as important. Yeah. I mean, you do spend a lot, you can spend, you know, an hour making a character or a hundred hours making a character. Yeah. I mean, this past Saturday, um, we had four people in it. We spent three hours building characters. Now they're all new players, but we spent three hours doing that. Nice. No gameplay at all. Just just building. Yeah, like it can be fun, especially if you have like this group of friends. And like nowadays, everyone's playing remotely, right? So everyone's talking in Discord or, you know, Facebook groups or whatever it is. You can say, hey, guys, you know, I'm trying to make like a guy that specializes in using a sword, but I want that sword to be on fire. So I'm going to take like four levels of fighter because I want these abilities that a fighter gets in fifth edition, let's say. What other class can I like multi-class into that's going to allow me to turn my sword on fire? And then people, you know, we're going to have suggestions. I'm like, oh shit, like, well, you know, like the cleric with the flame domain gets the ability to turn their sword into fire. And you're like, oh, so we could be like a cleric of this deity that was a little more militant. And, you know, it opens all these role play doors. It opens these interesting multi-class doors that, weren't previously present because just looking at the classes, right? You don't see these combinations. You have to start thinking about taking something from one and adding it to another. I guess the same could be said, like you could play in a gestalt campaign, right? And get the same thing. Yeah. It, yeah, to some extent you do. That's literally what we're doing on Sundays. And oh, okay. So do you want to tell us what a gestalt character is then? Yeah. So gestalt, I think it's generally advised her, you know, if you, if you have a very small group and you're only playing with two or three players, um, to make up for some of the lacks that your party is going to have in the holes, you basically get two classes every level. So your character's two and one 
anything that's the same between the two classes, you get the better of. So, for example, my Sunday character is a rogue cleric. So, you know, at level five, for example, or whatever, I get, you know, evasion and I get third level spells. Yeah. And like if the um, if you were to like a wizard fighter, you would get the fighter hit points, but, but the wizard spell progression. So you have the best of exactly. both worlds. Yeah, so you get the better HP, but you still get everything that the wizard does. The one, of course, downside and part of, you know, like the building the character is, okay, so you have a wizard fighter. Like, that's a lot of stats that your character wants. Uh-huh. So while it, yeah, it sounds incredibly powerful. And don't get me wrong, it is very powerful. Like, there's some considerations you have to take. Yeah, the characters are absurdly powerful. Also, it's a total house rule, right? Like, it's not, it's not like an option for normal games to just be Gestalt. No, it's like something that the players and the DM kind of have to agree on. And then also, you know, like what what level of Gestalt do you go with? Because like, you know, some people would say, well, you know, both of my character classes would get uh, an ASI at this level in 5th edition. Do I get two ASIs? And the answer for us was no, 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 no. Ability score increase. Yes. No, yeah, it's very cool. So my third one um, wasn't... Sp- specific particularly it was more at least once and honestly more than once i think everyone should set out to build a character from some sort of like idea that could be a trope or just some picture you have in your head and like very flavorful and mechanics come second so you like the character does not need to be powerful it could be weak that's fine build your character based off the idea and then role play with it yeah, like the people that post online, like, I made Captain Falcon in D&D, and here's how. Like, something like that. Yeah, and it's like, cool, yeah, I, you know, I punch things. But, like, someone else will be like, All right, you know, if you were just, like, a fighter with the sword, you would do more damage. And it's like, that's not the point. <laughs> it's very cool. Like, you, you have some reason for it, right? You have some cool aesthetic behind it that opens these roleplay doors and so forth. Yeah, it's like a combination of it's cool and it's like very unique, right? Uh I can be like, oh, yeah, I I built a wizard. Okay. You're like, no, no, dude, I built like a wizard cavalier fighter who rides a horse with his flaming like cloak. So as a side note, there's this spell called Flame Blade that kind of speaks to what we've been talking about, where... I've had it in my mind for the last 10 years to make a character using this spell. And for anyone that doesn't know, what it does is it creates a beam of fire three feet long that acts as a sword. And, you know, it attacks versus touch. And that's it. It's it's not very good, but that's what it is. And I've been able to look at it and say, how can I make a character using this? Like you can be like a weird race or like a weird class combination to give it, you know, some sort of benefit one way or another. It also has a clause that it's treated like a scimitar, which is a specific kind of weapon. So you could take weapon-focused scimitar and things like that and be better with it. But it's never quite as good as just using like a sword and being a fighter. But it's yeah. still super cool, so like I want to do it. Yeah, like that's exactly it, right? Just it doesn't the point isn't to play a character that's like optimized or super powerful. It's to play like a character that you really want to play and mechanics be damned. Yeah, exactly. No, and that's a sweet lesson, I think. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I think it leads to a more fun character. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's. I think that also, both doing the multi-class or doing 
a character from a concept forces you to build a character in a different way than maybe you'd considered. Like a lot of people will sit down at a table and be like, okay, so like you're a fighter, you're a wizard, you're a rogue. I guess I'm playing a cleric. It's a lot different to approach it from, I want to, I want to make this spell do something cool. Or like, I want to focus on this weird picture that I found and I want to make a character work for that situation. Or I really like Macho Man Randy Savage. I want to make a Macho Man Randy Savage character, which is something our friend Andrew did. So you can, you can. Oh, and it is actually quite strong. <laughs> it's actually a pretty degenerate character by Pathfinder standards, but it's fine. Amazing. He's fucking macho man. Yes. He, he also like has slim gyms at the game and he'll offer them to people. <laughs> you want to snap into a slim gym? Perfect. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. But yeah. So no, I think I, I don't know. I liked what the command zone guys did for their episode. Um, I thought it was a cool format and we seem to do really well with these list episodes. I mean, more lists is always great. So, yeah, but no, any any other thoughts or classes or concepts that people should try out at least once? Uh, I think we've actually covered quite a few. So, yeah, the only thing I had left on here is kind of an afterthought, but it, it does tie into like the different ways for character design was making a character based on the location your game is taking place, which isn't like a specific class or even a full thought is just a note I had written down. But I, I think my intention when I wrote that down the other day was, let's say you're playing a game that takes place in like the frozen north where there's Viking tribes. Make a fucking Viking. Like, make a character that is, you know, from the major city your game is taking place in. Or, you know, if your game involves, you know, you know, undead, like tons and tons of zombies and stuff like that, make a character whose life was impacted by zombies before, like make a character that is intrinsically tied into the location and identity of the place you're coming from and the place the game's taking place in. So that's um, the the game that I'm now running going to be on Saturdays and Sundays. I'm going to run two tables of it is this uh, the Rime of the Frostmaiden which is uh, Wizards newest adventure for 5th edition and it takes place in the 10 towns region of Icewind Dale and it like I actually am really appreciative of the fact that Wizards included in the front of the book um it's like 15 different like story hooks of like why each player might be in the 10 towns area and it includes like oh you you're just from here or like you're from one of the tribes up north or something like that. That's super cool. Yeah, I, I like it when games do that. Or if it was like a home game or something for you to just tell your players like, hey, here's the town you're coming from. Here are some cool hooks. Like you could be this shopkeeper's son. You could be like part of this caravan that's passing through. Like you find much better character ideas coming from that place, I think, than from, yeah, just make a fighter. We'll figure it out as we go. Yeah, and I mean like, as much as I might like to say, all right, players, you know, here's my set it, my setting, the setup, and uh, you guys figure out how you know each other. Yeah. I mean, it works, but we can do better. You're also putting a bunch of work on players, especially if you have like brand new players that are exactly. struggling. Exactly. Especially if you have players that, let's say, haven't done all of the things that we just listed with their character concepts already. Yeah, they have plenty to think about. <laughs> they have a lot um, to think about already. I'll tell you how you know each other. Yeah, especially if they're playing a, a ninth level spellcaster as their first character. Yes. Yep. Enjoy be. learning a completely different game than everyone else. 
Yeah, and you get to play your own game over here while everyone else does whatever they're doing. Fantastic. But yeah, that's I like that. Anything else you want to uh, add, or should we move on to our closing thoughts? Yeah, let's just go straight to close. Why not? All right. Uh, why don't you start? Ooh, I got to start with my closing thoughts. Um, completely non-gaming related or anything like that. But uh, I've been doing a lot of cooking recently, and I really like it. Like finding these like interesting different dishes to make, and then just doing that. Nice. So not meth. No, not yet. Okay, so cooking food, human food. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm sure other things would eat it too, but it's for humans. (laughs) This is human music. um, Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of the pictures you've been posting on social media, and it does look tasty, I have to say. The dishes that are edible, of course, not the the ones that include melted cheese. I I don't understand. That's not food. (laughs) I don't even think I post very many with melted cheese on them. It's Michaela. She'll post a picture of what you've cooked and then a picture of a cat and they always come together. There's always a food picture and a cat picture. That sounds correct. She's like, here's the dinner. Here's the dinner Matt made. And then here's the cat being a cat. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> come for the food, stay for the cat. No, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not a good chef, but I appreciate those, those out there that make a go of it. What would you say is the coolest thing you've cooked so far? I don't know. Honestly, I think the biggest realization is I've been doing a lot of like traditional French and Italian dishes, which are like, you know, the hallmark of like, oh, very fancy food. And what I've come to realize is that a lot of them are actually very easy. It just takes some time. Like, yeah, they're always more expensive at restaurants at the very least. Like you can find dime a dozen burger joints, but you can't find like a, you know, a cheap fast food French food restaurant. Yeah, but I mean, um, like the thing that I made last night is an Italian dish called Bolito Misto. And, you know, reading through some recipes, it's basically an, a, a northern Italian dish where you just take all the shitty parts of meat that no one really wants to eat and you just boil them until they're soft. That's basically, <laughs> that's basically the recipe. And like, depending on how you do it, of course, makes it taste delicious. But at its core, it's like super easy and very simple. Nice. Yeah, that would be the kind of food I would be interested in learning to cook would be the the cheap cuts of meat, simple and easy, please. Yeah, like, cool, stick it in a pot, boil it in some chicken stock until it's soft, you're done. Yeah, it's basically what a crock pot is. It's like the the Americanized version of cooking that way. Yeah, yeah basically. So yeah, just throw, throw some shit in there, set it, come pick it up tomorrow, it'll be fine. Yeah, it looks like slop, but it tastes delicious. Yep. No, that's good. Um, I haven't been learning any new skills, sadly. My brain is full. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I've been spending my weekends helping my dad organize one of his outbuildings, and it's made me realize that every person on the planet needs to throw away 80% of the things they own, just in preparation for when you're 65 and your son is helping you do it. I mean, this past summer, I moved and threw away a bunch of shit, and I already feel like I have too much shit again. Yeah, if you haven't moved like in the last two years, you should probably just go through your drawers and throw away half of everything in there just to be safe. No, I don't know. Um, I really liked I really like organizing it as a process. It's been like two months in now and it started off being standing room only and now it's still standing room only because there's no chairs. But if there were chairs, <laughs> you could sit down in parts of the area. But 
you know, I my father is a great guy. I love him to death. But there are only so many times where I can be like, all right, dad, here's like a bent nail. Can I throw this away? Oh, nails are a nail like that's 15 cents, Walter. We can't be throwing that away. I'm like, dad, you have so many nails. We can throw this one away. I'm like, no, no, no. Give that to me. I'll, I'll put it away with the other nails. I'm like, dude, we're never going to get this cleaned if we're going through <laughs> If we're literally pulling nails out of the haystack, right? If we're pulling like needles out of the haystack here and sorting them, it's going to take a lifetime to put all this stuff away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just interesting. Uh, it's a lot easier for me, right? To just go through and be like, oh, all this is trash. We'll keep this because none of it's mine. So it's, I'm just very ruthless. And I'm like, ah, you know, these speakers are 10 years old. They're trash. Oh, but they work perfectly fine. Yeah, they're trash. If you need speakers, you'll just buy new ones. He's like, why would I do that? I have them already. I'm like, nah, we're throwing these out. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm good at organizing or if I just don't care anymore. You're, uh, you're, like, good, at, you're good at downsizing. Yes, I'm good at downsizing. I'd be like the guy that companies would hire to fire people. And I'd be like, yeah, just fire everyone. Problem solved. We've cut cost to zero. We've cut the cost to zero. Just shutter the company and move on. Perfect. Beautiful. No, I think that I think that with COVID and everything, especially in the States where it's been pretty bad, a lot of people have been spending time indoors. And I don't know if this is true for anyone else. I have run out of projects to do at home. Like I've I've cleaned every room. I've reorganized every room. I've done my spring, summer and winter cleaning just in the last two months. There's like nothing else to do. So I'm just kind of twiddling my thumbs now. Yeah. So. You know, if you have any relatives out there, anyone that's listening, go to their house and start throwing stuff away. It's a it's a good way to spend time. Every time you leave, you'll be so happy that you don't have as much crap at home. <laughs> Every time we get in the car, I turn to Alyssa and I'm like, I'm never going to be like that, right? And she's like, no, <laughs> we're, we're never going to let it get that bad. I'm like, okay, good. Beautiful. <laughs> but no, anyway. Thanks for thanks for chatting with me, Matt, about these weird ideas I had that I definitely yeah, came no up problem. with on my own. Yep, I this do, perfectly original, this very original podcast topic. Yes. Yep. But no. Anyway, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.